0: Welcome to another episode of Real Pod Wednesdays. I'm Dan Hope. I'm joined by Colin Haas Hill as always, and we're back from a bye week. Uh, had a week without an Ohio State football game, so a uh, little bit of a test run for us for the off season of uh, figuring out what we're going to talk about for an hour without a game to review from the past week. But and, and basically,
1: like we can be honest, like basically not a game to preview. Like we're going to talk about the Northwestern game, but at the same time, we're not totally sure how Northwestern is going to be able to score points.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's that's going to be the big question for this week, I think, for Northwestern. Uh, one of the worst offenses in the country uh, that Ohio State is about to face this week. Uh, going to Northwestern uh, on an unusual week uh, for Ohio State, and the game's going to be played on Friday night, you know, the first time in 60 years that Ohio State has played a regular season Friday night game. Before that, the last time was in the 19th century. So uh, this is not something that happens very often. Uh, fortunately for both of these teams, uh, they're coming off of bye week. So it doesn't really change the schedule a whole lot. Uh, it just kind of bumps everything up today. So I know for us, uh, it's kind of been a little bit it's been a little bit weird kind of keeping the days uh, straight. Uh, we're still recording this on a Tuesday as we usually would, but uh, usually uh, we we go to the press conference during the day before before the podcast. And we don't have anything after. Uh, Today we're recording, Uh, we had a press conference already on Monday, and then we actually have interviews tonight uh, that will have happened before this uh, podcast is published, but... Uh, have not happened at the time we're recording it. So it's a little bit of a different schedule for everyone this week, uh, but Ohio State basically just bumped everything up one day. So uh, typically coming off a bye week, they would have started a week of practice on Monday. This week they started on Sunday. They'll travel to Evanston on Thursday and then play the game on Friday night.
1: Yes, yeah, so they have like basically... One day less than a typical bye week, but it doesn't actually matter this year because they're going to get a second one after two games.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the other interesting thing is typically uh, I think the bye week kind of came at a perfect time, falling really right did. in that mid season. But the weird thing is knowing that they only have two games and then they get another week off. Uh, so that's gonna if they only have one game. They're gonna there are they're two games scheduled, but there's going to be one game play. This is going to look really bad, Colin, if Northwestern wins. And, Northwestern and, yeah, will not win. I mean, I'll,
1: I, I I don't know what I'm about to I don't know what to say but I'll bet I'll, I'd bet anything. No, I
0: don't I don't think they will. Colin's trying to get us out of here in like 15 minutes. He doesn't even <laughs> want to talk about the next game. But, yeah, we're we're about to go straight to the you know, questions. No, we, we, we got to talk a little bit about uh, this this next game and uh, you know a lot of people don't like that this game's going to be played on a Friday. Uh, personally, I don't really have any strong opinions on it. I don't know if you do, Iver, Colin, but uh, a lot of people, uh, particularly people who are. Uh, high school football coaches or players or just, you know, big fans of high school football uh, don't don't love the fact that, you know, this game is going to be happening while high school football games are going on. Uh, so that's a little bit of an interesting backstory line here. Uh, you know, a lot of people have been, you know, vocal critics of the Big Ten starting to play games on Fridays, but uh, here's the reality. The, the TV networks call the shots on the games that are played. Uh, that's that's true for next week's Wisconsin game as well, and I think we were asked about that, so we'll get to that later. But uh, Friday at 8.30, maybe not an optimal time for a college football game, uh, but uh, that's when Fox wanted it to be played. So, uh, you know, Ohio State has some bargaining power there, but not total bargaining power, and ultimately the networks really make the final decisions on when games are played. Yeah, I mean... Like this is one of those games where you see scheduled, and I, I think it's I've seen it scheduled long
1: enough that at this point I've accepted it. so it's not like I have any, it's not like I'm going there Thursday afternoon, we're on the drive. We're like, why are we doing this? Because I've sort of just accepted it. but at the same time, like, I would just much prefer this to be a Saturday game. It, would, it just makes more sense. Like, I get it. That, like, ultimately, it does come down to one thing, and it's money. And it's more specifically the money of TV. It's not the money that Northwestern would make at the gate on Friday rather than Saturday. It's the money that that the TV networks would make by having it on a Friday night
0: instead of putting it somewhere on the Saturday calendar. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a way for FS1 to draw in viewers on a Friday night that they otherwise wouldn't be getting. So... Yeah, that that is literally the one benefit. Like, that is the one benefit. If you try to think of other benefits, it would get a
1: little hard. And you can think of plenty of negatives. It just all comes down to the money. And like the high school football coaches won't love it. I think fans who are used to having games on Saturday, whether it be noon, 3.30, or night, are are used to some sort of a schedule and playing a game that kicks off at 8.30 Eastern on a Friday is going to be a little different.
0: Yeah, uh, and and you think of it, too, uh, a lot of people – you know a, a lot of people have to get up get up and go to work at 9 in the morning on, on a Friday so uh, having a game at 8, 8, 8 at night you know you know some people don't want to stay up uh, till, till midnight on a Friday or some people would rather be doing something other than sitting in front of their TV watching a football game at that time on a Friday night uh, you're all it's also I think gonna be very interesting uh, I know for for me personally uh i'm going to be telling colin we need to get to the game early because i don't want to be uh sitting in greater chicago traffic uh at rush hour trying to get to this game Uh, so i think it's going to be interesting to see just what the traffic situation is like and parking and all that uh it's probably going to be mostly out of town ohio state fans if we're being honest but uh it's going to be it's going to be interesting uh that's kind of one of those things you don't necessarily think about with a game being played on a friday night but You've got people coming off of work, and and it's it's not you know it's you typically you think of a Saturday game. If it's a Saturday night game, you have people filtering in all day. You have people out there tailgating all day. But a Friday night, uh, a lot of people don't have the ability to do that.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's different, and I think that it's funny at this point of the year. You always there's probably on the Ohio State calendar there's probably like five days every single fall that either you hear a time or a date of a game announced, and you're like, oh man. Because we just had that this week. There's probably more comments on 11 Warriors about the Wisconsin game time than there will be on the Wisconsin game story. (laughs) Yeah, well,
0: the Wisconsin game is certainly one that a lot of people are looking forward to. and uh, Next week, I think we're going to have plenty to talk about with that, regardless of how this week's game goes. Because uh, that's a big game that a lot of people were anticipating. and uh, It will be a noon game. It will not be a night game. uh, To the disappointment of some, again, uh, this is a, a situation of... Fox wanting to play its marquee game of the week at noon. And, you know, therefore, uh, as long as that continues to be a thing, uh, Ohio State fans got to get used to games uh, being at noon. And regardless of what you think about uh, recruiting impacts or or you know getting up early or, or, or whatever the game
1: day experience i think the game day experience at a night game is so much better even for like a great game like uh like a top six matchup that wisconsin could be. i mean you could
0: just feel it at michigan state compared to the first three games of a the year There right? yep. just so much more energy in the stadium uh you know so many more people in there you know an hour before a game just really getting hyped up so
1: and that's all sacrifice because fox wants more tv money
0: which like listen that that's
1: what runs college football that's what runs Ohio State that's why Ohio Stadium has all these renovations seemingly every single year, but it still is a sacrifice. For look, all as the a beat writer, like I like
0: noon games because it, it, it means being able <laughs> yes. to get stuff done before four in the morning. Uh, so uh, I'm not certainly not going to complain about it. Um, you know, but I, I think the one thing that I think maybe people aren't people should understand is uh, I you know the night game versus noon is one thing. I think sometimes I see comments going, shouldn't this game at least be at thirty? But the way the networks are working right now, free thirty has kind of become the, for the Big Ten at least, the non-marquee time slot. It is for the SEC, but for the Big Ten right now, that's become like the unwanted time slot because uh, basically your marquee slots are playing at night or, or playing at, at, at noon on Fox. And for Ohio State, that means they're usually going to be playing uh at night or at noon on fox uh and just the way it tends to work out uh they tend to play more of those night games on the road than they do at home
1: all right i know you want to talk about northwestern well i I think we should let's do it for five minutes
0: (laughs) i'm telling you colin you're you're telling you colin if they uh i don't know what they're 128th in points per game I mean, no, their their off I mean, Northwestern's offense is really bad. Uh, there's no question about that. Uh, I think they're going to have a really hard time against an Ohio State defense uh, that has played really well this year. Um, but again, uh, you know, this is a it's it's a it's a Big Ten game. It's the first game in two weeks. It's a team that's coming off a bye week. Uh, it's a team that has a good defense. Um, it's not Rutgers, okay? I mean, it's I. I it is not Rutgers. Do, do I think do I think this is going to be a down to the wire game? I don't, but. Most people didn't think Purdue and Iowa were going to beat Ohio State either. So well, uh, there's a,
1: there, there's there's a little bit of a difference. No, and I I, like agree. Those teams I, I
0: I agree I agree Colin I agree but right. but well I, I'm just saying, saying there's, there's only there's only three games left on the schedule right now that look like they're going to be big. You, so if we decide we can't talk about any game that's not against a top fifteen team, we aren't going to have much to talk that's, about. On that's the show, that's so. fine with me though because
1: I don't like. Okay, let's just play hypothetical. I got. It. How, how does Northwestern come close to being Ohio State in your mind?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it, they they they'd have to have found something over the course of these two weeks of preparation that uh, they haven't they haven't had all season on offense, and that Ohio State's defense is completely unprepared for. Because uh, even though I think Northwestern has a good defense, I don't think they're going to be able to hold Ohio State to 14 points or anything like that. Uh, So Northwestern's going to have to be able to score points. Uh, They haven't been able to do that all year. Uh, They've averaged, I think it's like 14-point-something points per game this year. Uh, That's
1: suboptimal. Their
0: quarterback, Hunter Johnson, uh, who was a five-star recruit, uh, transfer, much like Justin Fields at Ohio State, uh, just has not lived up to expectations. He's completed less than half of his passes. He has uh, just, I think, 4.1 passing yards per attempt, only one touchdown pass, and four interceptions. Uh, things just have not gone well on the offensive side of the ball for Northwestern this year, and that's what makes this game look like a mismatch. Yeah,
1: the, the, the one thing that you can say that, that that's good about Northwestern, what they've done, is their defense has basically kept these games, like on the scoreboard, it's fairly close. Like they beat Stanford by 10. Michigan or sorry. Lost they lost. They uh, lost. They lost to Stanford by ten. They lost to Michigan State by twenty-one. They lost to uh, Wisconsin by nine. They lost to Nebraska by three. It's like those aren't the blowout. The, the those aren't the blowouts that Ohio State has had in their first six games. But we're talking about a team keeping having close losses to teams that Ohio State has beat fairly handily.
0: Yeah, but I mean they did. They did only lose by nine to Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin has blown out everybody else they've played. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I, again, yeah, I think, you know, you talk about it. They're going to have to – if they're going to have a chance, they're going to have to come up with a big play. that's it's not an offense, they're going to have to have a defensive touchdown or a special teams touchdown, uh, punt block. They're going to have to have plays like that, and they're going to need a lot of things to balloon in their favor. Uh, that's what we saw happen at Purdue and Iowa where uh, – Ohio State made big mistakes early the team was able to capitalize on them and then it just kind of snow snowball affected from there. That's what has to happen for Northwestern to have a chance and as well as Ohio State has played this year I I don't see that happening. Uh, I think I think Ohio State has uh, they've taken care of business in every game so far. Uh, they've been complete on both sides of the ball. Obviously last year Purdue was able to take advantage of a lot of the issues that Ohio State had on defense at the time, and Ohio State was also struggling to, to run the ball at the time, and I think Dwayne Haskins threw the ball like 70 times in that game. Uh, you know, Iowa, uh, JT Barrett really struggled in that game. Uh, the defense didn't know how to cover a tight end. Uh, there were major issues uh, that snowballed in that game. There were, there were things going into both of those games that you could look at on Ohio State's perspective and say, you know, these are things that were creeping up. And you didn't necessarily expect to see them go on the road and lose by 30 to an unranked team. But you could see there were these issues that were bubbling at the surface that could eventually come back to bite them. When you look at this Ohio State team so far, I don't see that.
1: No, and on the other side of the ball, you don't see any semblance of of, of Northwestern's offense putting it together. It's almost the exact opposite where Ohio State has seemingly no flaws in Northwestern has very few positives on offense, yeah. Um, which makes it like literally they have to do the impossible. They have to show that their offense is completely different than what they have shown in the and in, in their first uh, few games of the season against arguably the best playing defense in the country. Which is why, like, I think it's totally reasonable to pick this to be a to be, to pick this to be a shutout. I think the, so too. The only the only the only way that I don't see a shutout happening is really. Like Two things. One, if Ohio State gets up early and the backups come in, and who knows what happens in that time. And early on, like I think Pat Fitzgerald's a good coach. Um, I think you give him two weeks. I think there are some flaws, and there are some areas that are just natural soft spots in Ohio State's defense um, that maybe they can take advantage of early before Ohio State adjusts. And maybe they get an early touchdown or or something like that. Um, But I'm not – I think you can tell in my tone I'm not I'm not picking Northwestern to even come remotely close. To I would
0: set. think if you're Northwestern, y- you 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 gotta, uh, you know I I know their offensive coordinator uh, Mick McCall has been there a long time. I think a lot of uh, fans are would like to see a change made there for obvious reasons. Is it
1: hashtag I don't care? <laughs> yeah. Or hashtag no one cares. One hashtag, hashtag I don't care at
0: yeah. at, at gmail dot com or something. Pat Fitzgerald said to people who questioned the offensive play calling, but. Um,
1: I wonder if Billy Davis had the same email
0: I don't know I don't know what tricks uh, he might have up his sleeve but he better have something uh, if you're Northwestern you better come into this game with some different wrinkles that Ohio State hasn't seen on film because I think that's the that's the only way you're really gonna have a chance to to score some points on him is to have some things that Ohio State just really isn't expecting to see and I wouldn't be, yeah. I, I, that's why I wouldn't be surprised if in the first quarter, if Northwestern hits some big play and they they do something unexpected that that catches Ohio State off guard and allows them to score an early touchdown. But uh, if they scored any more than you know, ten or fourteen points, I'd be shocked because I I, I think that uh, as as well as Ohio State's defense has played. And, and granted, I, I still don't I still don't think Ohio State's defense has, has faced. In, a, in a elite offense at this point. They definitely have. Uh, Nebraska's offense was one that I thought was better than it is, and then seeing wh- how they've played the last couple weeks, uh, Nebraska's actually now ranked in the bottom half of the nation statistically in offense. So I still don't think this defense has really been tested to the point where we can feel with 100% certainty that this is an elite defense, but Northwestern ain't going to be the team to change that. No. So twenty point twenty eight point spread. How much money are you putting on Northwestern? <laughs> well, they, I mean, I, Colin sounds like he's ready to put his life savings on, <laughs> on the Buckeyes covering. I I looked up as we were as we were talking
1: um, to look up the the week one line. That was also twenty eight points. That was Ohio State against Florida Atlantic at home. This is Ohio State 27 on the road. And a half,
0: I think. But. Yeah, it,
1: it, I'd seen another for, at twenty eight. It was. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty confident in Ohio State. I. I it, all these all, big, all Ohio these...
0: State really should be 6-0 against the spread this year. They've won their last five games against the spread. Against FAU, they got up 28 nothing in the first quarter and then just kind of fell off the gas pedal and allowed them back into the game. But Yeah, if,
1: if the way that Northwestern covers the spread is if their offense does something literally that they haven't done this entire year or if... They get some points against the backups, or if their defense, some like I think the one way is if their defense really finds a way to shut down Justin Fields and or either Justin Fields or J.K. Dobbins. They've only
0: given up more than twenty-eight points in one game this mm-hmm. year, so their defense is capable of keeping this game competitive. They've they've shown that all yeah. year. Even you know, and you, you got to factor that in too when you you look at the fact. This defense—they've given up 26. They're they're 26 in yards allowed per game. They're 30th in points allowed per game. They've been on the field a lot because their offense hasn't been able to keep them off the field. Yeah, I I have uh, 42 to 10. I think I'm going 38 nothing.
1: You know, uh, the way that I've talked, I'm not. A I would say I'm to shocked you that have that
0: them scoring because of
1: I'll get. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that either the backups come in and get a late touchdown or Pat will pulls something out early that just completely. Yeah, I mean, I will So I mean, mean I won't defense.
0: be shocked if they score a touchdown or two, but I also no. won't be shocked if it's a shutout.
1: I would uh, be significantly more shocked if Northwestern scored 14. Than if Ohio State didn't cover, I, I think I think if Northwestern scores multiple touchdowns, I will be surprised.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it could happen if there was a. It, it, I think it. I think I think fourteen is reasonable. Though I think like twenty-one, I think that'd be a big surprise. Uh, I think that would require uh, some you know defense or special teams craziness.
1: Yeah, I mean, they've scored more than fifteen points once, and it was thirty points against UNLV. This offense. Yes.
0: Yeah. No. I mean, yeah. I mean, their, their offense Whew. is definitely. Uh, in for a rough day. I mean, you look at you know the offenses Ohio State has faced this year. This one's going to be right down there with Miami. I can't wait for the Rutgers uh, game. I don't want to talk about the Rutgers game. That <laughs> that's the one that I really that's the one that I really have no idea how we're going to hype it up because we're not going. To uh, go. I, th- I think what we're going to talk about that week is what records Ohio State has a chance to break that week in terms of single game because uh, Rutgers is really really bad. about I, um, I mean, I mean, I'm not. I'm honestly not con- not sure. If Rutgers is like even better than Miami Ohio, I I, no they're they're that bad that uh, they will
1: not take a five nothing lead on Ohio State. I'm gonna I'm gonna bet that.
0: Yeah, that's probably gonna be another shutout pick because uh, things are not going well in Piscataway right now. Uh, You know, we'll see if they hire uh, Greg Schiano. Ohio State fans are holding their breath, hoping they don't hire Jeff Halfley, but uh, they need someone to come in and turn things around because. Chris Ashwell, I think he was a good defensive coordinator, uh, just could not get that program going in the right direction. No, and I
1: would expect Halfley not to take that job because I wouldn't expect anyone who is the defensive coordinator at. I don't, think I, don't at, think. I think the. I think
0: of. I, I I don't think it's a good job. I think for anybody who's in a in a uh, I could have just left it at that, honestly, but uh, I, I think for anybody who's in a good job in terms of being an assistant coach right now, uh, I don't think. Going to Rutgers is a good job. I think you want to wait for something else I think the one guy that it does make a lot of sense for if he wants it is Greg Shiano because uh, Greg Schiano is not in coaching right now. He's the one guy who's had sustained success there uh, And because of the way things have gone for him the last couple of years He's no longer the appealing head coaching candidate, that he once was uh, So I think that would be a good opportunity for him to get back into head coaching in a power five school but i'm not sure what he would have anywhere else at this point
1: you have no idea how happy i am that we managed to spend three minutes on rutgers that's what i wanted to do hey Listen, you know, are, don't, uh, we
0: don't have a game to talk about from last week uh this week's game probably going to be a lopsided game as as long as ohio state uh shows up to play you know don't sprain all their ankles and vote. Four-foot-tall grass. As, long as they
1: remember the game's
0: Friday, not Saturday. Yes, that's important. That's important. Speaking
1: uh, of Rutgers, ready for this? Taking the Big Ten National. We're going to take Real Pod Wednesday's <laughs> National. Yeah. You like
0: that? Yeah, I, that was a bit of a stretch, but uh, yeah. I, We're I, going into the Big Ten market is what I'm trying to say. I, yeah, I, I do want to talk a little bit about some of the big-picture stuff here for a few minutes because uh, I spent a lot of the day Saturday – watching college football I don't know if you did Colin I know Ryan Day said that he did Uh, he spent some time uh, maybe doing a little advanced scouting on Wisconsin uh, as well as enjoying uh, some of your games and and one of the games that he mentioned on Monday uh, that I think was probably the biggest storyline of a weekend uh, was Georgia losing to South Carolina Uh, Georgia of course they were undefeated they were tied with Ohio State uh, for number three in the AP top 25 last week and now they suffered a bad loss. but doesn't take them out of it completely. Uh, they could still win out and still make the playoff. But uh, you know does definitely knock them down a peg. Uh, exposes some flaws in them that we didn't necessarily expect to see. And, and Day brought that up as a reminder of, what he said of, of how fragile uh, the season can be. Uh, and I think that's a good reminder, especially going into a week like this. Coming off a of bye week, everybody's been talking you up. You go into a game like this against a team like Northwestern uh, I think South Carolina is better than Northwestern and I think Ohio State's probably better than Georgia uh, but it is a good reminder for the team this week that hey this is what can happen if you don't show up and play your best
1: yeah it's funny I mean you've heard like when, when you hear Ryan Day talk just every once in a while he'll sort like he'll, he'll make a passing reference at either trap games or Iowa and Purdue because I think those two losses are just sort of ingrained in the fabric of this program right now. And, and they should be. They should be because they defined seasons that they should not have defined. Those teams were way too good to... to Both to, those
0: teams would have been playoff teams. Yeah, if they, they, were, they
1: were way too good to be defined by those, those specific losses. And, it, and it's one of the reasons why I've been pretty confident, even, in, like, I think way back... Um, before the season, I had pinpointed maybe the Northwestern game is a potential slip-up with Wisconsin sort of looming and, and it's after the bye week. Maybe you think that you're, you're coming, you have a little bit more confidence than you should. But the way that they have sort of talked about these games, these types of games where, like, they're not going to say it, but they know they're the more talented team. They know they have more talent than Northwestern, even though Northwestern has a five-star quarterback. Um, they The way that they talk about it makes me think that, they're way more focused on getting through these games and winning them the way that they have, which is in blowout fashion.
0: Yeah, and that's what you want to do. You know, mm-hmm. that's what you want to do if you want to make a statement that you're the best team in the country. Uh, that's what you got to do, and and you gotta you, you gotta win these games. And like I said, I uh, I think they certainly think they will beat Northwestern. Like you, I I thought going into the season. That this could be a trap game more than it is now, and that's because I thought Hunter Johnson was going to be a lot better than he is. Yep, me too. Uh, But the fact still remains: if uh, if all goes wrong and Northwestern somehow wins this game on Friday night, that could be it. That that could end your playoff hopes because you you look at you look at the national picture right now. You've got twelve undefeated teams still. Now you know a few of them aren't aren't real. Uh, playoff contenders here. you know SMU, Boise State, App State, they're not Power 5 teams. Baylor and Minnesota, I think those are teams that have taken advantage of weak schedules. Uh, Minnesota, actually, Minnesota, they actually could get to 8 0 because they play Maryland and Rutgers in their next two games. So uh, they've got a real chance to get to 8 uh, 0, move way up in the rankings, but I do think uh, the back end of that schedule. Uh, will be a dose of reality uh, the for damn boat. because they, yeah, I mean, P.J. Fleck, you got to give him credit. He's, I, I definitely did not think they would be 6-0 at this point, so uh, you definitely got to give him credit, but you look at their schedule, they really haven't beaten anyone of uh, great significance at this point. So uh, to me, I think there's, of those undefeated teams, I think there's seven teams now that, you know, to me, these are your teams that are in the the top of a playoff race now and that's alabama that's lsu that's clemson that's ohio state that's penn state that's wisconsin that's oklahoma and if you look at those teams uh uh, no matter what we know that all that's going to work itself out because alabama plays lsu uh penn state plays ohio state wisconsin plays ohio state so we know at least three of those teams are going to lose we also know that most likely there's going to be ever losses, too, because that's just the way college football works. And this is always the time of year where we start mapping it out of, oh, who's going to lose and who's going to go undefeated. And then, and then randomly
1: Ohio State loses to Purdue. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's
0: there's always there's always a few, uh, just like this past week with Georgia losing to South Carolina, there's, there's always a few of those uh, games that surprise you, uh, that shake things up. But uh, the roadmap is there for those seven. Those are the seven teams that... You know, quote unquote, control their own destiny at this point. Uh, I think Georgia and Florida kind of do too, because playing they play each other playing at SECs. If they were to win out, which would mean beating Alabama or LSU in the SEC championship game, then they would make the playoff as well. Uh, but you look at that group of teams right now; uh, those are the ones that you know right now are the ones that are really in the front of that playoff discussion and. You know, we could argue all day about who should be number one. Uh, I think Ohio State, I think statistically they've been the most dominant team. You look at what they've done. They're second in yards allowed per game and per play. They're fourth in points and points allowed per game. They're fifth in yards per play. They're seventh in yards per game. So their offense and defense have both been among the best of the country. They don't have that signature win yet, but they're going to have the opportunity to get that signature win. Next week they play Wisconsin. And then their last two games of the season, you play Penn State and Michigan back-to-back. Those are going to be free tough games, but if Ohio State can get through those games, if they can manage to get through all these games and not lose a game, uh, their resume is going to be as good as any team in the country. Yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is at this point of the year, we always
1: talk about who deserves to be number one versus who we think is probably the best team. Um, I don't think, like right now, um, I, I probably wouldn't vote Ohio State number one, and it's simply their schedule. If you look at who they beat, like they have, a, they have a nice strength of schedule right now based on the fact that they haven't, like Miami, Ohio is really the only terrible team that they've played. Um, but I think there are three toughest games are remaining, and like you said, there's seven teams that are undefeated that are fighting for the college football playoff, and two of them are, is, are, are on Ohio State's schedule. And that Wisconsin game, like by beating Wisconsin, If they beat Wisconsin, I think that they would probably have a real nice, deserved case to potentially be number one if they continue to play. If Wisconsin
0: beats Ohio State, they'd have their own case. Exactly,
1: exactly, definitely. Um, And right now, like, I think that, I don't think people have to fret about whether Ohio State's getting enough number one votes at the moment. I mean, ultimately... What's going to matter is what the College Football Playoff Committee has when, in their opening week, and by but that Ohio time, State, as we talked about, Ohio but, State firmly controls its own destiny. At it, this does, point. it does, it does, and and by that time, also Ohio State will have played Wisconsin, so right. their case will be pretty strong. But right now, I mean, like I think there's going to be a question on this later. But are there any teams? Because there's like the seven, eight teams that are, that, that I think we're we're looking at are, are potential national title contenders. Are there any of them that? No matter who they played, how they've looked, that you think are going to be there at the end, are there are a couple that stand out among them.
0: I mean, it, it, it's hard to bet against Alabama and Clemson, as, uh, the way that they've, as consistent as they've been, you know, getting there every single year for the past four years. It, it's hard to bet against those two teams at this point. Uh, I think, you know, Alabama-LSU, that's shaping up to be the regular season game of the year. Uh it's probably going to be a shootout. It's not going to look like your typical Alabama LSU game. It could be a fifty-two to forty-five game, uh, but I think whoever wins that game is going to be really sitting in a great spot. And as long as that team's still undefeated, they're going to be number one in the poll at that point. Uh, you know, Clemson. Clemson wasn't as impressive as expected in some of its early games, but I still think they're as complete as any team in the country, and I still think they can win a national championship. Uh, Oklahoma. Their defense has definitely gotten better with Alex Grinch. Is it a defense that can win a national championship? I don't know. Uh, But I I like their chances of making a playoff. Uh, Though They they probably probably need to win out more than the SEC and Big Ten teams Uh, because I don't know if their schedule is quite as strong playing in the Big 12. Same would go for Clemson. Um, Penn State and Wisconsin, I don't know, but I can see either of them as a championship team right now but they're certainly tough tests for ohio state
1: yeah i i agree with most of what you said i mean like everyone i think at at this point it feels like the alabama and clemson are sort of like having the golden state warriors effect where it's like uh, them again like you like i think a lot of fans who aren't in south carolina or alabama really want that those dynasties or mini dynasties or whatever you want to call them to end but I'm not picking against them until they do. It's one of the, it's one of those things where like Clemson hasn't looked uh, hasn't looked as good as maybe I think a lot of people would have imagined and Alabama's been hit with some en- some key injuries. Yet at the same time, those are still the two teams that I'm going to look at like ha- like I'm going to consistently think like how would Ohio State match up against these teams? Cuz I think the way that Ohio State's playing right now, like I think they I think you could reasonably pick them against any team in the country right now. Absolutely. But like they haven't faced a team even close to as talented
0: as some of those that we've talked about. No, it's like, and you look at like the strength of schedule. Like I think overall Ohio State's strength of schedule is is it, you know in terms of who they've played, in terms of six games, in terms of Ohio State hasn't had as many cupcakes as some other teams. They, they, they've they've blown out some legitimate opponents, but you also, I mean, even even this past week, Nebraska and Michigan State games that we thought were pretty. Pretty good wins for Ohio State. Eh, kind of meh wins for Ohio State. I mean, uh, N- Nebraska losing again. Yeah, Michigan Cincinnati State
1: might get. be the best one that they have. Yeah,
0: and in and Indiana might be up there, too. Uh, Indiana's actually playing uh, pretty good. But there's a, they still do not have that signature win. There's no question about that. They're going to get their opportunity for that next week, and we're going to talk a lot about that game next week, mm-hmm. uh, unless there's a lot of craziness uh, in Evanston that we don't expect. I think most likely the majority of our show next week will be uh, dedicated to breaking down that Ohio State-Wisconsin game because uh, we're already looking forward to that one. And anytime, anytime I say anything about the Wisconsin game on, on social media, I get the concerned uh, replies on Twitter of, don't look ahead, uh, stay focused, but I don't play for the team. So uh, we're, allowed to, we're allowed to look ahead. The team needs to be focused on just beating the Wildcats, but but we're allowed to look yeah, ahead.
1: Here's a hint too. You know who hasn't been a hundred percent focused on Northwestern, like Ohio State's coaches. Do you think that they haven't watched any Wisconsin film in the past? Well, Ryan Day
0: said on Saturday, that he watched some of a Wisconsin-Michigan State games. So, uh, and
1: I and I presume that wasn't the only time he happened to happen
0: upon a little Wisconsin. Film. I, I I would think I would think so. I would think you know he pops in that Northwestern-Wisconsin film. I would think maybe his eyes going a little bit, uh, especially when you're watching that North. Northwestern offense, uh, I, I think I'd be paying a little more attention to what was causing defense. Just a little bit. Because uh, that one is going to be a much, much tougher test uh, between those two units. Uh, I want to move on to questions here in just a couple minutes. But, Colin, you wrote this week about a few players who you think could break out in the second half. Uh, who's a few guys who you, you are looking forward to watching here who you think can uh, make a big impact in the second half of the season?
1: Yeah, I, I I did write that, and like what's funny is like when I when I finished writing it, and when I had um, when I had looked at the guys who I had who I had written it, it just reminded me a lot of the preseason guys. Like it, it was almost similar to like an article that you write a month before the season of potential breakout candidates, yeah. because it's largely the same guys. It's a lot of the same guys who before the season you're wondering, well, maybe if if the moment strikes, if there happened to be an injury, like. Could they could they ascend? Um, so it's a lot of guys like that. Like one of them, like Baron Browning. Like I know we've had this conversation every single week, but at the same time, I can't not have it because I think he's 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 arguably their most physically impressive linebacker. Um, he's played. Uh, significantly fewer snaps than Pete Warner and Blake Harrison just by the fact that he's also rotating with Tuck Borland, but at the same time, he makes these wild plays every once in a while that you're just reminded of what he has, um, just how, how different he is as a player. Is there anyone who you're looking forward to in the second half um, who maybe, like what, honestly, you can take it in any direction you want, because I have someone who's actually played almost every single Snap, every single defensive snap I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, it's hard because I, I don't think... It's not one of those situations where a lot of times at this point in the season you have people calling for this guy needs to be benched and this guy needs to play more. This year you really can't say that because they've played so well in every area of it. I don't. I don't think there's any reason for them to make any major lineup changes, but I just look at... I mean, these are the two most obvious guys I could say, but it's kind of hard to ignore them. I look at Garrett Wilson and Zach Harrison, the two five-star freshmen, as guys who... Uh, I think Zach Harrison, just watching him in the, the most recent game against Michigan State, uh, you know, he, he's got... A lot of potential, and I, you know, I, I certainly think I still think Jonathan Cooper and Tyreek Smith are probably going to be the guys who get most of the snaps opposite Chase Young. But I think Zach Harrison's an intriguing player. But, he's, he's really been ascending. Uh, he's coming along, and, I, and I'm interested to see if his role grows here in the second half of the season uh, because I, I, I think he's a guy that uh, maybe of all those guys, even Chase Young has that potential to be a game-breaking type of player. Uh, you know, we'll see how much they trust him in big game situations, but I'm interested to see that. And the same goes for for Garrett Wilson. Uh, We saw him make a few spectacular plays in the first half of the season, but hasn't emerged as that consistent target yet. But I kind of always expected that, you know, his production would ramp up as the season goes being a true freshman. So uh, definitely interested to see if he can continue to build on that and maybe become an even more focal player in the offense of the second half of the year. I think,
1: I think Garrett Wilson is really interesting in just the way they've used him because if you look at his stats, I believe up top of my head they use 10 catches right now. Is do you, is that number yeah, sound catches, right? Yeah. yeah, 10 catches. At the same time, he's played like 170 snaps. Like he's been out there a significant amount of time, yet the targets aren't there yet, and I don't know whether it's a factor. I don't know. I don't necessarily know exactly what that is a factor of, but to me, that means he's out there a lot. Balls are just going to eventually start coming his way more. I would think so. Um, A couple other guys, who I'm interested in. I know you're. I think you're going to write about him, Sean Wade. I just want to see what happens in in the in the latter half of the season because he's someone who. I think coming into the year you, you viewed him as maybe he could potentially leave for the NFL draft, but I don't think it was necessarily a likelihood. But the more the, – the longer the season goes, seemingly the more draft hype he get, he picks up and he's moved into that potential first-round discussion and I'm – interested to see if he can really lock down his place there in a way that we've seen Ohio State cornerbacks do in the past. And I
0: will say, while agreeing with all of that, I do always, and I, as i follow the NFL draft closely for a long time, and I do always find it interesting how once a guy, once somebody mentions him, it just kind of like everybody kind of starts to jump on it. Like It happened with Okuda before the like, season. It did. It did. And I think you know, a lot of that stemmed from the Rose Bowl and how well he played against Washington, and you mm-hmm. had even wrote in a big piece about that. Uh, and I, I think Sean Wade belongs in that NFL. We actually talked about it last week in response to one of your questions about him being a guy who is probably going to have that toughest decision after the year. But I do think it's interesting, and while I do think that he's probably more likely to go with some of these guys. Uh, Wyatt Davis who's named as a midseason All-American on Tuesday nobody's talking about him going to the NFL uh there's a lot of guys who could have that conversation uh Sean Wade's the one who's kind of in the public focus right now but whether it's Fayer or Munford or uh you know Wyatt Davis Josh Myers I mean, those are all guys who are, are draft eligible I don't you know. If
1: Fayer's interesting I would be absolutely I, w- I would be very surprised if myers or davis one just in the fact that their first year starting offensive line
0: i would too but but i'm just i'm just making the point that that it's it's interesting sometimes how the narrative gets shaped by even sometimes it, all it takes is one mock draft and all of a sudden uh or and granted by the time this podcast runs i may have written a story about sean wade and his nfl decision so uh i'm not saying that it shouldn't be a conversation i just think it's interesting
1: um Going back to your point about the narrative being shaped, I, I thought it was fascinating how many first-team All-American uh, lists that Wyatt Davis found himself on, because I'd argue that Jonah Jackson has had a better season. And, and I'd argue that like,
0: everybody saw a Cole Kubelik tweet yes, calling him the exactly, best guard in the that's country. That's what I was going to say. And then the writers go, hmm, I have no idea who's a good guard. I'm just going to go with Wyatt yeah, Davis. And
1: here's my thing. If I'm an All-American voter... I don't know how good Arkansas's left guard is. So you know what? I did see this tweet about this kid named Wyatt Davis, who seems to be seems to have been the number one guard in the 2017 class. He must be pretty
0: good. And I think they're all. I think they've all played great. I think they all yep. have a worthy place in that conversation. But I do agree. I think the fact that he's getting all that attention is necessar- to- totally narrative. Based. Yeah, I don't necessarily know that he's played better than than Jonah Jackson or Josh. Josh Myers, not to say that he's played bad, I think they've all played really well. Yeah,
1: here's the thing, if Josh Myers wants to be an All-American, you got to get more viral Twitter clips, and I'm <laughs> only half-joking, because writers are the people on Twitter, and writers are the people who are going to vote.
0: But hey, I mean, I mean, Ohio State has had three straight All-American centers, so... Uh, they're the, yeah, I mean, listen, they must have
1: had a real nice social media presence too then, huh?
0: I would, I would think so should we move on to some questions here let's do it all right we got about 20 minutes left so gonna get to as many of your questions as we can we're gonna start with the questions from last week uh, because we we got kicked out at the end of uh, our recording time last week uh, and didn't have time to get to them Uh, some of them asked about the bi-week and and how that went so we kind of already covered that Um, but just you know how the bi-week was structured basically Uh, I think we talked about this a little bit last week too But basically for the bye week They practiced through Wednesday Last week Then Thursday through Saturday The players had off It was fall break at Ohio State A lot of them went home Went to visit their families Went to see their own high school teams played Then they were back on Sunday They've been practicing since Sunday Uh, Typically after a bye week They would have started on Monday They moved everything up one day uh, In anticipation of the Friday game this week uh, Daniel had asked us about that. Uh, Bartholomew would asked us uh, how much time over the next week and a half would the Buckeyes be spending looking ahead to Wisconsin. As we talked about, they've probably spent they've probably spent a little time looking ahead to Wisconsin. They're not going to. See, the thing with that is they're never
1: going to admit how no. much they are. Um, so it's really a lot of speculation. But listen, if let's role play a little. If you're if you're a head coach, would you not? Be, or, or you're an assistant coach, would you not be looking at Wisconsin? Would you not have maybe some graduate assistants focused on Wisconsin rather I, than Northwestern? Yeah, I think
0: you're, I think you're I always. Would. I think you're always. And I think I think uh, every coach and player in the country always says we're just focused on the next opponent. I think in most cases that's not really true. I think, uh, I think it's human nature to look ahead, and, and especially to a game like a Wisconsin uh, team that's playing that well. Uh, I think they'd be, be, and I think I think we'll see that late Friday night when we talk to players, and they've already got like detailed things to say about Wisconsin because that's usually what happens is they say all week if they didn't think ahead, and then you ask them after a the game, and they're already talking about that next big game. Uh, usually, what happens, so we'll see if that's the case this week. Uh, Mug Bucket asked, "Who else on the upcoming schedule besides Michigan do you see as the next toughest contest?" Uh, they were leaning Wisconsin over Penn State. We've talked about this every single week. Last week we both agreed on Penn State. After watching Wisconsin this past weekend, I, I I'm more conflicted than ever. I almost shifted back to Wisconsin. Just Penn State wasn't that impressive against Iowa, as we know. Iowa was a tough place to play, especially uh, at night. Uh, but Wisconsin, they were really impressive against Michigan State. Blew them out thirty-eight to nothing. Uh, uh, I think that's legitimately might be the best defense in the country, uh, one of the best running games. I think the thing that maybe we're not giving Wisconsin enough credit for, and I think we'll talk about it next week, is their passing game has gotten better too. It's, it's not elite, but it's not Alex Hornibrook anymore. They're, they're, they're passing the ball better than they have in past years too, and they're a pretty well-rounded team. So uh, There's no doubt in my mind that that game against Wisconsin next week is going to be the toughest game of the year to date for Ohio State. So is that your pick, to answer this question? I don't really know, but I have a pick there. I, I, oh. I, I, I'm i leaning toward Wisconsin, but okay. it's, I also think that's partially because it's the one that's coming up.
1: I, um, If I were to rank them most difficult to least difficult, I'd go Penn State, then Wisconsin, then Michigan, then, Michigan, then Maryland, then Northwestern, then
0: Rutgers. <laughs> yeah, Rutgers is the bottom. We, Rutgers. We, we uh, sorry, Rutgers. I'm not sorry. Bucknut75 asked, uh I read that Mark May believes Urban to USC is a done deal. First of all. <laughs> what do you want to listen to Mark may? Yeah, I, uh, I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but I'm not going to say it's going to happen because Mark May said it. Uh, I, I have a hard time believing that Mark May is plugged in on Urban Meyer's next decision, uh, considering how critical he was of Ohio State and Urban Meyer throughout his tenure at Ohio State. So uh, it may happen, it may not. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen because Mark May said it, though. Uh, said, if that is the case, does it cloud his legacy at Ohio State? Is it a Florida 2.0?
1: We can uh, have that conversation when it happens. We, yeah, I, ag- is, I
0: agree. I think that's more of a conversation to like, have. like,
1: would it, would it cloud his legacy? I don't know. It depends on how it happened.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's no question that some Ohio State fans wouldn't like it. I think there's also uh, Ohio State fans who would understand and would still appreciate uh, the success that he had. I think it also helps – where if you look at Florida, there was a lot of off-field crap happening when he left and the program went downhill after he left. Right now at Ohio State, everything's humming along. He built this program to a point where Ryan Day could come in and take over the program and have the immediate success that he has had. So I think that plays a big part in his legacy as well in terms of Uh, Ryan Day and these new coaches are doing a great job, but they wouldn't be in this position if if, if Urban Meyer didn't build that foundation for them.
1: And I'm also going to make a real quick comparison there. It sort of reminds me of the Joe Burrow situation in that I think a lot of Ohio State fans are rooting for Joe Burrow, and it's a little bit easier for them because Dwayne Haskins was awesome and Justin Fields is awesome right now. So that there isn't this part of any Ohio State fan where it's like, Man, I, I wish we kept Joe Burrow. I think maybe you see him this year, and it's like, ooh, I, it would be nice to see that in scarlet and gray. But at the same time, you know that you have Justin Fields, so it makes it easier to root um, to root for Joe Burrow. Which, if Ryan Day, if Ryan Day continued to have this thing rolling, I think it would be a lot a lot more okay in Ohio State fans' minds. That said, we'll see it. We'll 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 talk about
0: when it happens. It's kind of like I've seen some banter on our forums too about Tate Martell and. You know, some people are like, hey, can we move on from Tate Martell? Uh, Things are going pretty well with Justin Fields right now. So uh, Tate Martell made the decision that he made, uh, but I don't think there's really any reason for Ohio State fans to lose any sleep over his decision because uh, if Tate Martell was here, uh, it wouldn't change anything. Uh, Justin Fields would certainly be the starting quarterback uh, because he's a better quarterback, and uh, that's, that's just the truth. Uh, Bucks asked – he asked an interesting question that I wanted to get to last week, and this is a hard one to answer in a few minutes, so we'll see if we can. But he he asked about the fact that I have expressed on this podcast, and I think Colin feels the same way, but I've probably expressed it more specifically, that my main objective is to be that objective when covering Ohio State. I don't consider myself to be an Ohio State fan. I I don't cheer for the Buckeyes to win. I'm not cheering against them to lose either. But uh, my goal is just to cover the team as best as possible, and I'm not emotionally attached to the teams' uh, yes victories or losses. Yes. What 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 do you cheer for? Then? What do I cheer for? Uh, it, it it really is a hard question. Um. But you know, he asked. He asked. He said. If you were to pick facets, stories, developments that have been enjoyable for you, what would they be? I really, I really enjoy having the opportunity to to tell stories about people and to uh, to be able to document the team. And you know, my focus is always on just trying to do that job as best as possible. And uh, you know, it, it during the season during the season it's such a daily grind that I honestly don't spend a whole lot of time reflecting on. Uh, what did I do that I liked or anything like that? Uh, you're, you're just kind of trying to keep, keep going through the season, just as the team is themselves. They don't have a lot of time to reflect on on anything. But I think for me, you know, I, I, I just really enjoy telling stories. Uh, it, it always feels good to you know, get a story that you feel like uh, no one has told before or that you feel like uh, you know, makes an impact in some way. Like I think probably two of my favorite stories I've written this year was a story I wrote about Brady Taylor and uh, some of the adversity that he had to overcome during his Ohio State career and you know he's not playing for Ohio State anymore he's not playing football at all anymore but uh, just telling his story of the things that he had to overcome and uh, about mental health those are the kind of stories that I really enjoy telling because. Uh, it was a story that hadn't been told before, and it's a story that goes beyond the sport of football, um, and those are, those are the kind of stories that I really enjoy a lot. Uh, I did one on Brandon Bowen. Uh, that had some similar kind of storylines. Um, you know, he, he, of course, missing a year and a half of an injury, and you know, he had to battle some mental health stuff with that as well, and just his overcoming that and getting back in the field, and he's, of course, been a starting right tackle this year and, and played well. Uh, but I enjoy that. I enjoy the hum- human interest side of things. I enjoy you know, feature writing and stuff like that. You know, truly, I, I probably enjoy that more than I do covering the actual games just because uh, – in large part because of the fact that I don't really care at my core – who wins or loses games? Uh, it's a big part of a job, and we know that it's what you guys care about. So during the season, that's what most of our energy is focused on. But for me personally, I think what I enjoy most is being able to tell those stories and and even just finding unique angles. Uh, sometimes it's film study or very football-specific stuff, but I enjoy finding those different angles that maybe nobody else has written it about yet, uh, telling a story in a different way that, that gives some more depth to what's happening beyond just, hey, this team won, they're really good, and, or this team lost, they're really bad.
1: Yeah, I think the same thing um, about about the storytelling. I was writing down some things that were like coming to mind. All right, so nooners after games, if there's a noon game, I like... I like getting i like a noon game because after the game we get our things done and we're not there till 4 a.m that said night games give me that during a game any day like listen we've go we go to a lot of college football games but at the same time a good night game is awesome um press box food give me the good press (laughs) box food i'm all about that uh good press access like if um, I think Ohio State does a pretty good job of that. They give us a good, a decent variety. I wish that we could obviously pick the players that we wanted to talk to and pick the coaches that we wanted to talk to. That said, even though that's not the norm at Ohio State or, or across college it's football in general, football. Um, I think they do, they, they do a solid job of, of getting us a good variety of players. Uh, I like locker room access, which happens at the bowl games and the Big Ten Championship in which – there's what it's usually about a 30 minute period after the game where like you a, get little, a little inside anybody. baseball. We're not talking to people about the Big Ten Championship. We're going up to 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 people who are underclassmen who haven't played, who we haven't been able to talk to all year, and trying to get a little thoughts from them. Right. Love a little bit of that. Um, listen, little, this this is real inside baseball, but easy access to the to the post game press room. I don't want to be running. I don't want to be running everywhere. I want to, I would like to know where to go. I still remember my very first road game ever at Oklahoma. I, Clay Hall from ABC6 almost kicked down a tour because they wouldn't let us into the post-game press.
0: I, I, that, that is sometimes. Sometimes that's the biggest <laughs> adrenaline rush of the day. It that? is, especially yeah. like for me, like I, you usually go down to the field before the end of the game. But I'm usually finishing up my story, publishing as soon as the game ends, and then it's running down to the press room and trying to get there on time. <laughs> a lot of times, that's that is like the adrenaline rush of like trying to make it there on time. And- it
1: is true. It is true. We're a little bit different in just the way that the way that we do this. Since since I go down to the field now um, with about five minutes to go, but I'll still remember that, and I'm still scarred by it. Um, defensive lineman running with the ball like I, like I, I like a little bit of levity in my game um like you said talking to someone interesting someone who um we don't talk to all the time like it's great to hear from justin fields the same time we hear from justin fields every week so i also like when we hear from when when we get a chance to talk to other people i like to try and talk to other people outside um of just the players and a lot of like, times that's
0: when you get the most interesting story right, is talking to the you know it's People think about talking to the superstars. And some people do want to just talk to superstars all the time. But uh, to me, that gets repetitive. I like to talk to different people and and hear different stories.
1: Yeah, and I would say, like, last, like, just a great game is awesome. Like, I don't care. Like, I know like we we've, we've we've seen it can a lot possible you're trying to write a <laughs> recap can.
0: at the end of a game a lot of times i like it if the game's great until about like 4 <laughs> or 5 minutes left and then a team pulls away cuz it, it can be it can be pretty stressful trying to have a story out of at the, at the buzzer of a game when it's like the Maryland game last year like listen this is why it's my list because i know that and i get a this that is
1: that would not be the case if I were in your position writing the gamer. My favorite thing about writing a gamer is when it's a great game and then inside the last minute there are like
0: four timeouts. Yes. So it really gives you a good chance to catch like, up. Uh, like I love like that like you know you oh, it at home but oh. that like 145 like TV timeout we get buys me a few minutes like
1: yeah, uh, If there's a little long review action at the end it's, yeah. it's terrible as a viewer and it's sort of great if you're writing the game story. Yes. But all right, that's enough inside baseball. That's that's, that's my list.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I can already tell we're going to run out of time to get to all your questions. We're going to again, rapid so fire this sucker. We'll, we'll bump a few of them. If, if we need to
1: bump them, we'll bump Kevin's.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, we'll start we'll start with uh, – we already talked about Northwestern. How are we seeing them finding success on offense at all? For Buckeye got to, Crusader. Yeah, they've got to have something tricky or, or something up their sleeve that we haven't seen before. Doing yeah. what they've done in the first five games. Like anchor. you said, they have to literally do
1: something that they haven't done
0: yet. So I
1: don't see them having success.
0: Daniel asked us, what are your thoughts on the noon start for Wisconsin? It seems to me it will hurt recruiting as players who have a Friday night game will struggle to get to the shoe on time. Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, it's probably they're probably not going to get as many national guys that they would have gotten for this game if it had been a night game. Uh, fortunately, they had the opportunity to bring in a lot of their top national targets a couple weeks ago for the Michigan State game. So I'm sure they were already anticipating at that time that this could be a noon game and that could be their best opportunity of the year to bring in a lot of guys from out of state. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think it'll have a little bit of an impact in that regard. I think certainly those night games... Uh, those night games are good for recruiting, uh, just the environment of them. Yeah, the atmosphere
1: uh, is just so different for a noon game, even even a great noon game. Like, as a, as a program, you would rather have that be a night game for recruiting purposes. Yeah, but I still and, think for, and for fan in-person I purposes. still
0: think they'll get some significant visitors for this one, and, you know, I, I definitely understand the fan disappointment in terms of uh, that night game atmosphere, but... You know, it, this is still a big game. You would hope that the fans are going to show up and, and make it a great atmosphere anyway, because, uh, you know, this is looking like a top six game. Depending on what happened next week, it, it might be two top five ranked teams. So uh, that's going to be a big game regardless. Uh, definitely understand why people wanted it to be a night game. I'm not personally going to complain about it being a noon game, but totally understand. Would have been cool to see that game in the under the lights environment.
1: Navy Buckeye 91 asks: Does
0: OSU still have tight ends on the roster in the playbook? I mean, Luke Farrell had a touchdown against Michigan State, so uh, we, we've talked about this ad nauseum. Uh, no, the tight ends are not going to start catching 10 passes a game. Is it's not going to happen this year. Uh, we'll see if it happens at any point in the future. I'm interested uh, to
1: see at the end of the year if we compare the snap counts of the tight ends this year to last year, though, because sure. They're not catching a lot of passes, but they're playing a really integral part in. in this, oh yeah, I mean they've had a tight
0: game. end in the field basically every play, and they've had two or three tight end sets on a fairly regular basis in every game. So uh, for sure, definitely going to be more snap counts. We'll see how the catches stack up, but they've played a very big role uh, in terms of run blocking. Who's
1: this Kevin Harris
0: cat? <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Harris, our colleague asked, "What is your favorite meal from Arby's?" Be honest, I really do not eat at Arby's very much. Colin, do you? no if i go to arby's i'm only
1: going for the curly fries i'm the same way it. like
0: i like the curly fries like they're like apple turnovers or mozzarella sticks are good their sandwiches just don't do it for me sorry kevin God, uh, he's gonna he's gonna hate us no man. i mean it i'm not I, look i'm i'm not a food snob you've seen me on Beat Eats. I eat some stuff that probably looks disgusting uh but arby's uh curly fries are good sandwiches they just they just don't do it for me uh i agree but kevin uh very on brand of that question uh batman loves him some arby's and they should hire him uh to be their official spokesperson uh silver sniper asks basic his basic question is
1: has ohio state been holding off some of their more difficult and more complex offensive schemes and, and plays for later in the season
0: probably uh we'll probably see some stuff against wisconsin that we haven't seen yet this year. But uh, I also think six games into the year, uh, there's only so much they could have held back at this point. Uh, I do think they are going to have some wrinkles up their sleeves. I think they've probably worked on some stuff over this past week. A bye week's always a good time for that to to experiment with some different stuff and maybe find some stuff in the playbook that you haven't used yet this year. So I'm sure there's some stuff that we haven't seen yet, uh, especially coming up for some of these big games. But uh, I don't think we're going to see any drastic changes, especially of how well the first half of the season went.
1: No, and I think if you look at what this offense does well, it's be versatile. So I think that that helps them in that, like they've shown a lot of different personnel packages, types of plays, types of passes, types of runs in different and out of different formations. In that, like they're not just running this one thing. Like they can believe they can be multiple. They can they can have these complex looks yet you have already seen them. Um, and sure, there'll probably be a play or two that we haven't seen, that's just natural, but there won't be any, there isn't, there aren't They aren't
0: hiding something, this one big play that they're just getting ready to unleash. The Nomadic Buckeye asked us about Taraja Mitchell's injury as well as Taron Vincent's injury. Uh, truthfully, I don't have much information about their injuries. Uh, Taron Vincent, we have seen him, uh, he was in a sling earlier in the year. Last time we saw him, he was not in a sling. Um, so appears to be some sort of shoulder arm injury. Uh, it would appear that he's making progress. Uh, but if the coaches just don't give any specifics on injuries uh, this year. That's part of their new policy. So uh, in terms of whether he, he will return this year, I don't know. Uh, Taraja Mitchell, I, I don't, I'm not even sure, honestly, what his injury is or what the severity of it is. Uh, but the, question, yeah, the second question that I do think is interesting is, you know, any chance either of these guys take a red shirt this year? I uh, don't have a ton of time to get into this right now, but uh, I, I, I think certainly for Teron Vincent, I think that's certainly potentially in play, considering uh, we're now six games into the season he hasn't played. To Roger Mitchell, he, he, he has only played in four games, but if he plays in any more games, he would not be able to redshirt. That would surprise me, unless it's a uh, unless it truly is a season-ending injury. But there's a little bit of an interesting conversation there. Uh, I think there's a lot of interesting conversations that we can't right now. I don't it right think it's one we can have right <laughs> now. I think with Baron Browning and Tough Borland playing and the reality that he might not have a chance to start until 2021, when he's I think uh,
1: yes.
0: redshirting last year probably would have been good for him. Uh, I think if he's going to miss a significant amount of time, it would be a worthwhile conversation to have this year. Uh, but do I think they're going to hold him out if he can play the rest of the year? I would guess not, yeah. but but I don't know that.
1: Yep, I agree. And like you said, Teron, Teron just the way that his uh, cast has looked, he looks like he's going to be out on a significant amount of time.
0: We'll talk about that a little more when we get a chance as we get deeper into the season, whether there's any non-freshman who could be uh, potential redshirt candidates. But let's wrap up with this question from Buckeye Beast. Let's be real here. Who worries you more, Clemson or Bama?
1: Clemson. I like I I understand that they haven't looked like the Clemson from last year at this point but I'm still going to pick Clemson right now. I think they're their most talented. Yeah, it's uh,
0: that's a tough one. Like my they both first, have great my first instinct says Bama because Bama's played better this year, but I I do think Bama's defense is a little bit shaky. Uh I think Clemson still can be the most complete team. I think Bama's been more impressive this year, so I think my my answer right now would be Bama. But I do think that could easily change uh, if Clemson plays up to its ability uh, in the second half of the year. They, they, they're they, both still uh, concerning. I think Ohio State's capable of beating both of them, but I think they're also certainly uh, both capable of beating Ohio State. And given that they're the teams that have been in a championship game for each of the last four years, those are still the two top dogs. Those are still the teams in my mind until they lose that everybody's chasing
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so our time in the
1: library at upper arlington is up and it is matt, up. also matt wiggins i saw your question through email
0: we'll get to it next week but but we we're, we have run out of time yep it's time for us to move on we actually got to head over to the woody hayes athletic center for some interviews that will have already taken place by the time you listen to this podcast but uh at the time of our recording uh they're coming up here pretty soon so uh we thank you guys for listening in Uh, Ohio State plays Northwestern on Friday night at 8.30. We will be in Evanston, so make sure you stay tuned with 11 Warriors for full coverage of the game. And next week, we'll review that game, and we'll look ahead to a big showdown against the Badgers.